join us in singing Sacred Love. morning. How is everybody? Welcome to the Sunday morning celebrations service here at the Center for Spiritual Living. My name is Reverend Catherine Cardinal. It's my honor and privilege to be one of your staff ministers. So let's start today, as we often do, in grounding ourselves and remembering the truth of who and what we are as a spiritual community. We are a spiritual community that blesses all teachings and all spiritual teachers. We know there is no wrong way to worship, whether it be lighting a candle, facing the east, burning incense, repeating a mantra, lighting a menorah, 
or offering prayer. We respect all the ways there are to draw closer to spirit, for even though there may seem to be great differences on the path, the destination is the same. Our vision here is inspiring the recognition of spirit in all, and we're delighted that you've chosen to be here this morning to allow that spirit inside to be ignited. If it's your first time here today, I extend a special welcome to you, and I invite you to stop at our welcome table after service to pick up a welcome package and to talk to the person there who can answer any questions that you might have about our center or our teaching. So we love to sing here at our center, and I invite you to stand and sing our congregational song, Lean On Me. Time to 
What a great song and great message to remember us to call. I'd like to share with you some of the wonderful things that are happening at our center. And if you'd open your program and take out all the wonderful things, take them home, take a look. I'm only going to highlight a few of them, but there's many more things happening in our calendar. The first thing I would like to highlight is our women's group that is meeting this Saturday, May 23rd, from noon, 10 until noon. And Audrey May Caldwell is presenting a wonderful workshop based on Richard Moss's book, The Mandela of Being. So please sign up at the welcome table, which is back there. As well, our Path of Discovery classes are starting Monday, May 25th from 7 till 9 p.m. This set of three classes is complimentary, and it's for newcomers to our center so that you have the opportunity to learn about our organization, our teaching, the philosophy of the science of mind, and the history of our center, which I think I said already. So please sign up again at the welcome table. We also have a wonderful workshop entitled Power Parenting. Sunday, May 31st, from 1 until 3.30 p.m., Dr. Gans France, who's at the back of the sanctuary today, and Reverend Connie Nissen are facilitating this workshop, and it's about parenting for success. So there's lots of information about that in the flyer that's in your program, and Dr. Gans can answer any questions that you may have after service. So for those of you that like to travel and go on retreats to remember the truth of who you are, we have our first ever Canadian Circle of Love gathering happening in the beautiful Kelowna, B.C. in the summertime in August. This conference will give you the opportunity to remember the truth of who you are and commune with spirit. The early bird rate has been extended until June 1st. And it's a great deal at $874 Canadian, which, which includes lodging, food, and the conference. There's information in the flyer, and you can also sign up online. So our book of the month has been extremely popular, The Trance of Scarcity, which is a really amazing book. We have reordered the books because we have sold out, so we'll, hopefully they'll be in next week. We do still have a few book study groups that are open, starting with a later date, so that gives you the opportunity for those books to come in. And there's three available at the back registration table if you'd like to take a look of which one you might like to sign up for. It's a wonderful opportunity to do the study guide, to do this work and do these practices, to actually embody them in your experience and to do it with a group of people that can help us move through our stories. So moving on to the wonderful music of our team. Over to Robin. So I found a kindred spirit in Anna Beaumont. Anna, not only do I love her singing, but uh, several months, maybe years ago, Anna asked me if I would help her with uh, teaching, and I said, I have no idea how to teach singing. I just sing. And she said, well, what if I taught you? So for the last year or so, I've been taking lessons with Anna on how to teach, and... uh, we are putting together our first vocal workshop together. I've been teaching ever since and loving uh, being a vocal coach and what Anna's taught me and what we do together. And we have great chemistry together. So we're doing this, this for, uh, I'll tell you. Oh, let me let you tell a little bit more. But Am I doing fine? Okay. I, I was going to let Anna talk, but I've got this mic in my hand. I don't know how to let it go. So uh, we have four workshop days, four Saturdays, May 30th and July 4th, September 26th and October 31st. And uh, let just say a couple things that we're doing. <laughs> Should I let you talk a little bit? Okay. Oh, 
that's great. Thank you. I think that inside of us all, don't we secretly want to sing? All of us want to sing. And this is an opportunity for you to just play. This is no pressure. There are no rules. It's just a little fun, a little getting into the body and tapping in and maybe getting some help on how to, how to express yourself uh, more clearly and tap into some power. So sometimes there are no words. Sometimes where you are going, where I am going. Um, it's all been thought before. I have no more tricks. I have no more tactics. I don't know how to get out of the place that I'm in. And I'm lost. And Rumi speaks of this. And this is a song that I wrote with the words of Rumi speaking to my heart. It's called No More Words. Thanks, Anna. That song, Lean on Me, this morning really made me think about how 
opportune it is that we have a practitioner team available for anyone to call when we need someone to lean into and help. And so our practitioner team is available if you need any support or would like to create something more in your life. They're available for affirmative prayer. And our practitioner team today is Cassandra Van Merlin, Elizabeth Manuel, and Marsha Hoskins. This team is available for the one-minute ministry after service where we do affirmative prayer in a prayer circle, as well did provide the meditation prior to service. And if you would like help and you don't want to call, I encourage you to put a prayer request in on that Opportunity for You card, drop it in the basket, and this team will do affirmative prayer, spiritual mind treatment for you this week. So we have a bit of a high-tech reading for you this morning. It's something called The Lost Generation, and it comes to us via that fabulous thing called YouTube. So please watch The Lost Generation. I am part of a lost generation, and I refuse to believe that I can change the world. I realize this may be a shock, but happiness comes from within is a lie, and money will make me happy. So in 30 years, I will tell my children they are not the most important thing in my life. My employer will know that I have my priorities straight because work is more important than family. I tell you this, once upon a time, families stayed together. But this will not be true in my era. This is a quick-fix society. Experts tell me 30 years from now, I will be celebrating the 10th anniversary of my divorce. I do not concede that I will live in a country of my own making. In the future, environmental destruction will be the norm. No longer can it be said that my peers and I care about this earth it will be evident that my generation is apathetic and lethargic. It is foolish to presume that there is hope. And all of this will come true unless we choose to reverse it. There is hope. It is foolish to presume that my generation is apathetic and lethargic. It will be evident that my peers and I care about this earth. No longer can it be said that environmental destruction will be the norm. In the future, I will live in a country of my own making. I do not concede that 30 years from now, I will be celebrating the 10th anniversary of my divorce. Experts tell me this is a quick-fix society, but this will not be true in my era. Families stayed together once upon a time. I tell you this, family is more important than work. I have my priorities straight because my employer will know that they are not the most important thing in my life. So in 30 years, I will tell my children, money will make me happy is a lie, and true happiness comes from within. I realize this may be a shock, but I can change the world. And I refuse to believe that I am part of a lost generation. Isn't it interesting how we can change the story by changing our perspective, just changing how we look at it? So to talk to us more about stories today, please welcome our senior minister, Reverend Patrick Cameron. Good morning. Welcome. Blessings. It is so true how we can use the same words and, and, and turn things around. So talking about story today. And, uh, you know, our practice is quite powerful, affirmative prayer. And I, part of we, we've been using the, the trance of scarcity uh, to bounce ideas off. It's good to have a little box to play out of. I find that helpful for myself. It's a wonderful book, and she talks in that first chapter about the circle that we can step into. 
and it's inhaling and exhaling it's allowing it, it all it requires is our consent and so I'm, I'm having this conversation with you because as I have it with you I'm, I'm creating the consent the awareness in my own experience and hopefully that is um, creating that sense of consent within you as well does that mean we have to change anything we don't even have to tell anybody we just simply have to consent to that experience and it's not unique to us but we live lives that are intentional so when we step into that, it, 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 we stand in it, and as you look at the circle, it starts out, in, in the way I read the circle in the book, Trans of Scarcity, that we can step into, it talks about generosity, it talks about giving, and it starts there. I believe it starts with the generosity, it starts with the giving, it talks with, about aligning and openness, gratitude, and I obviously have my notes here on my hand. And then it moves into, isn't it interesting? It starts with the generosity and the gratitude, and then it moves into receiving and attracting. Because I think that you, I think in order to prime the pump, we have, to, we have to give. We have to be out in, we have to step into the flow energetically. We have to step into that flow energetically. And so I, I, I want to just set that up because I think it's important for us to be mindful of that as we move into what I would consider the most important part of our gathering today, which is is this affirmative prayer. And so I'm going to invite you, if you'd like to stand up, please feel welcome to do that. If not, please stay seated. Or sing a song. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the in this very room there's quite enough joy for all the world and there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit So what I know in my own awareness, and I speak in the I am, but I speak in the I am for each person here. My offering is that my words, my consciousness, my awareness, and if it's a good fit for you, this is my gift. And if not, let it move aside. Take our good where we find it. We live a life that is purposeful and clear and dynamic, moving with the expectancy of great good in our experience the great blessings that are here today I look and see the things in my life that are working so many things working that I may take for granted and I call my awareness to that and I say oh I am so grateful so grateful to be alive a grateful heart and a grateful opportunity to be on this planet in form moving and laughing and loving and hugging and offering the gifts that continue to emerge by means of my own individualized expression of the one into this world and I share those generously. I give them away. And the return is tenfold. So I give thanks this day knowing that the awareness and the opportunity, the insight and the clarity that allows each and every one of us to make a purposeful, and dynamic and powerful next step on our journey, our unique journey is made clear. And that is all I need. 
So my path is illumined. That doorway is open. I step through it. I say yes to the possibility, to the opportunity. For this I give thanks, knowing that the universe is conspiring in every good way as I am in dynamic and clear co-creation with it and it with me. For this I give thanks. And I invite you to say with me, and so it is. Let's be seated. So this book, The Trance of Scarce, a wonderful book. We're going to do book studies with this and um, started that up in a number and it'll be done in homes and in a way that's available and, and uh, very organic for who and what we are here as a community. And it's exciting because we, you know, it just sort of showed up and thought, wow, great information here. This uh, Victoria Castle, powerful, wonderful book. And so we're going to spend some time. We're going to spend a, a, several more weeks with, with Victoria. And the reason I like Victoria, she talks in there about the trance of scarcity. We, we buy into this sort of collective dream that there's not enough or that we're not enough or that life is hard or life's a struggle or, you know, people are not to be trusted, we're not to be trusted. I mean, there's many, many wonderful stories out there, and they're all very interesting. I mean, we love stories. Look at, look at, I mean, so much of our culture is based on story. It's based on song. It's based on the movies. You know, and, and, and we, we, it's, it's so much a part of us sometimes, I think, that we forget they're just stories. What we need to understand is that our stories are not our truth. They're just stories. I have my stories, you have your stories. And they're great stories, because we're great storytellers, because we love to fabricate stories. Great quote here, we are born fictioners, all of us. We quest for causes and explanations, do we not? Why did this happen? And let me explain it to you. And if they don't come readily to hand, we make them up. Because a wrong answer is much better than no answer at all. You know what I mean? I, you know, I, I, I know the Course in Miracles, a number of people here have studied the Course in Miracles. And one of the things the Course in Miracles tells us, and, I'm, I, and I, I'm not, it doesn't represent my position, but the Course in Miracles will say everybody's got a soul's agreement and we have an assignment and we're born into this, and we, we have this assignment. And the other side of that, I thought, what if it's just all random? What if we're just all born into, we're born, and then we choose? And the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. But this idea that we have a fate or a de destiny based on this soul's agreement, I think our soul's agreement is really to come and, and, and become that vessel of expression of the infinite because we come from that source. How we do that, how we show up, it's, you know, it's up to us. We're always a choice. We're never locked into anything. See, we, sometimes we think our story is the truth. Our story is just the story. So we need to pry ourselves away from that idea because our stories make up our lives, but it's how we filter, just like that illustration for our reading today. Same words, turn it around, and all of a sudden it takes on a whole different context. It's just fabulous and powerful, wonderful. And the reason that I think that Victoria Castle's Trance of Scarcity ties in so beautifully for us is in our, in our study of Dr. Ernest Holmes, who's really the fellow that, that grounded this tradition, in what we teach and how we, uh, we move on the planet. He had this to say, the law of life is a law of thought. The law of life is a law of thought. Dr. Holmes used to say, to learn how to think is to learn how to live. And so much of what my experience has been has been unlearning the things that I was taught as a kid so that I could really step into the unknown. Because it's very uncomfortable when you step away from your core beliefs you, and you step away from your family. They don't like that. Anybody here brought their mom or dad to this place? And they... They're still shaking their head at you right now. What are you doing? But what I think for many of us have come to understand, it really is important for us to, to 
to live our own self-determined lives. Dr. Holmes said our teaching supports freedom. And I love that. But see, sometimes too much freedom. I used to have a Russian neighbor when I lived in Los Angeles. And he used to say to me over and over and over again, Misha, pot. Yes, Misha, pot. Call me pot. Too much freedom. Too many choices. And that was his story. That was his reality. He was used to being told what to do. I had a leak in my gas tank on my vehicle. I drove this old station wagon. Because I couldn't afford a pickup truck yet, but I was working my way there. <laughs> Do you ever try and pick up girls driving a station wagon? <laughs> Doesn't work. Remember as a young guy in college, I'd drive up my station wagon. Me and a buddy would be at a bar, you know, working our magic. And I'd pull up in this, I'll go get the car. And I'd pull up in the station wagon. I'll never forget this one young lady looked at me and said, I bet you have nine kids at home too, don't you? <laughs> I can't take that car with us anymore. Anyway. But, we, but it's, it's putting down those old stories. It's putting down those uh, part of our story. And Dr. Holmes had this, to, you know, he said, the law of life is a law of thought, an activity of consciousness. The power flows through us. And unless we're able to provide the consciousness, it cannot make the gift. Consciousness precedes experience. It's just true. It's true for everyone. It's not just true for us. It's true for everyone. Yeah, gotta, and so what we must create is the mental equivalent within ourselves so we can accept the gift. Because the divine nature of the infinite is to always give. See, and we think it's a struggle because we make it a struggle. And believe me, I've, I've struggled. I've, I've, I've had my challenges with this. It's really it's quite simple once we, we relax into the experience and say, my gosh, something great, something wonderful is happening here. But I'll say that, my experience, but I'll say that and then I'll pick it up again and start to you know, manipulate it. That's why in spiritual mind treatment, we release it. We let it go. It doesn't mean we throw it away. It means what we know. The reason we're grateful is because we know it's already done in the mind of the one. And all of a sudden, we're starting to wake up to the possibility and say, Hey, hey, right here. Here you go. Huh? Huh? I'm ready. I'm ready. Ready for the new experience. I'm ready. And the challenge is for many of us, <laughs> ready is so uncomfortable. Oh, my gosh. Wanted a new job, but I didn't know I was going to get fired from the old one. Wanted my marriage to be spectacular. I thought it would be this marriage. Not that not I have to divorce this one to get to the other one. What's up with that? See, we think. See, we want to know all the answers, and we got it all figured out. Uh, 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 uh. See, there's an intelligence. There's a power for good in the universe that we can use, and it uses us. But see, once we start to understand and make peace with this idea that you know what, I stand fearless in my knowing. See, our, I believe. I love it. I had a conversation with with somebody this week, and they're not here right now, but they use the word fearless. I said, oh, I love that word, fearless. Stand fearless in my knowing. Whatever happens, happens. It's for the greater good. Everything is happening for me. And then we have the family. You know, we have our, our core group that things happen and things change, and, they, and, and they're uncomfortable with it. And then we start to hesitate because we don't want to make mom or dad or brother or sister or ex or this or that uncomfortable. That's okay. Let them be uncomfortable. Let them be uncomfortable. It's okay. Because we can't fix it for him anyway. You ever done that? You ever done that? I mean, I've had more people come to me and say, oh, I can, I'm leaving this so-and-so. You know what they did? They did this and this and this and this and this. And then they did this and then they did that. And they go on for a couple of weeks and a couple thousand. They did this and this and this. And then a couple of weeks go by and then they're back together. Okay. All right. So now I get to forget all that stuff you told me. Because my job is to love everybody. 
I may not like everybody, but it's to love and support everybody. So, as far as I'm concerned, much too much information. But I've had that experience. I'm telling you. As my teacher used to say, now, Patrick Cameron, why did you share that? Now I have to go do forgiveness work. <laughs> and she was right. So we have to be able to provide the consciousness. Or it, the, the thing itself, cannot make the gift. The power behind all things is without limit. It is unlimited. But in working for us, it must work through us. So Dr. Holmes said this, unless we provide the space, the acceptance, the belief, and the consciousness to be able to have all that we have claimed... The law cannot deliver our complete desire, but can deliver only that for which we are ready. It can deliver only that for which we, you and I, are ready. That's why consciousness is so important. And it seems so mystical, but it's practical. See, so you, you, you demonstrate the level of consciousness. Consciousness precedes experience. In, in Victoria Castle's book, she, in the first, second chapter, she writes about when she was a young girl. She went to her first dance in high school, all dolled up and ready to go. And she steps into the high school gym and the band's playing. She said it was just a room of hormones rocking back and forth the room. There, just, you could just feel it. She's all excited. And this, this older young man comes up to her and asks her to dance. And they dance the whole night. She's so excited. Oh, my gosh, it's him, the one I've been waiting for my whole life. You know, you're 14, 15 years old. You're waiting your whole life. And so she gives him her phone number. He says, I'll be giving you a call. Right. So she goes home and she sits by the phone. And he doesn't call. And so what do we do? What does she do? She starts making up stories. So finally she can't take it anymore. She's got a brother who's in grade 12, senior in high school. She walks in his room, he's doing homework, and she says, Tell me something. Your friend. I danced with him all night. Gave him my number. He said he was going to call. He hasn't called. What's going on? And he says, well, he hasn't called. She says, damn it, I knew it's a conspiracy. She marches down the hallway. And then she realizes she started to come into, to come into sanity again. Because it'll make you crazy. That the reality of it was, he just didn't call. You know, I mean, Truly. Anybody here ever, ever have anybody tell you they're going to call and then they don't call? <laughs> There's one person over on the left there. <laughs> Sweet. So, we, so I'll talk to you today. <laughs> but the reality is they don't call. And so they don't call, they don't call. And then we make up the story. And so the story that we could make up about that or she could make up is she's not pretty enough, she's not old enough, she's not tall enough, she's not whatever enough. Well, the reality is, the sanity of it is, he didn't call. Which, if we look at it from another perspective, this is a good thing. I always tell people, if it isn't good at the beginning, it's probably not going to get better. <laughs> hey, thanks, that could be my banner. I asked my banner, yeah. <laughs> but truly, truly, I mean, if it starts out bad, oh my gosh. You know, forget it. It's like I, I'm, I'm at home the other day. Now, Laura and I have been together eight years. The boys are there. And, and, and all of a sudden, they bring up the story that when Laura met me, I cook. Well, of course I cooked. I lived alone. <laughs> I had to cook. <clears throat> <clears throat> 
And they were just, it was just conversation. It wasn't, but I started making up a story. I said, okay, I'll tell you what. You do the Sunday talk, and I'll start cooking all the meals. Go ahead. She said, no, 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 I'm quite happy with the arrangement as it is. But the point being is, I mean, you know, if you understand the content and, and all that, and, and you just take the story in the, in the conversation for what the conversation is. But I, I, I wouldn't tell you, 25 years ago, I may have been defensive about that. In fact, yesterday I got this. I've been looking at. I've been going on the internet, and I, and I found this rib recipe. And I've never cooked ribs before, so I found this rib recipe, and I followed it to the letter. I mean, I peeled off the membrane, and I and I did the rub, and I put them in the refrigerator, and all this stuff. And it was great. And so I'm cooking them, and I'm cooking them really slow, and it's and it's the, the aroma is just wafting over the neighborhood. And I got a neighbor out in the backyard yesterday, and he finally <laughs> looks over the fence, and he goes, "You are killing me, man. <laughs> You're killing me." They smell good, don't they? Yeah. So I took some over to him. I said, oh, you got to try these. Worked out really good. So it's good when a recipe, you know, like, it's like spiritual mind treatment. It's a recipe. And when we work it right and it comes out well, it's like, oh, fantastic. I'm, you know what? I think we should have a, I'm thinking rib picnic for everybody, you know? Yeah. Hey, 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 I'm not agreeing to that. I'm just, just an idea. I'm just thinking. Don't be going home now. Don't be calling me on the carpet because I promised ribs. I'm just saying an idea. But anyway. It's a lot of fun. So I, I do cook occasionally. <clears throat> when, I was, when I was a young man, I, I grew up in an environment that was not really supportive of... We were a group that, you know, uh, very Irish, very Catholic. We would rather, as I've said many times, fight than eat. And so, um, and our form of entertainment was sarcasm. We could cut each other down like nobody you've ever seen. In fact, my first, my first, my practice marriage, first one, getting ready for the second one. My first wife said, "You know, you got to stop that. You got to stop that sarcasm." It was so tripwired for sarcasm, and it took me it took a long time to put that down. It just, it was just the way we. That's the way we extended our recognition of one another. I wouldn't call it affection. I call it recognition. In fact, my mother. I told the story last week. My mom for Mother's Day. I can't never call her because she got rid of her answering machine. Because I have a, one of my seven sisters calls like every 15 minutes and fills the machine up. So my mom, 86 years old, finally just threw it away. So she called me, and so when my mom got on the phone, she just starts sobbing. It's very sweet. I mean, there's nothing going. On. There's nothing wrong. She's just very. She's so excited and so happy to hear my voice and talk to me. She's sobbing and telling me she loves me and says, "Go on." <laughs> And I'm sitting there holding the phone, and I'm, yeah, Mom, yeah, yeah, I got you. Uh-huh, yeah. Love you, too. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and this goes on for about 10 minutes. And then finally, she kind of gets grounded, and we start talking. And she's telling me about my oldest sister, who's been put, she's now in a nursing home, and uh, can't take care of herself. And it's a sad story. It's a tough life. T- tough, tough story, as stories go. And she said, it's really hard to go see her, because all she does is cry. I thought, isn't that interesting? Where did she learn that? <laughs> So it's a family tradition. So you know what? In another 15, 20 years, you just come here. I'll just cry the whole time. <laughs> it's very sweet. I'd love to get my mom up here. How's church? How's church? That's good, mom. Well, the priest asked us the other day. Everyone's throwing another hundred dollars. Everybody. I don't like it. So well, you should call him. Let him know, mom. How you guys doing? Are you asking for a hundred dollars? No, we're not. We're not doing that, mom. We're doing good. People give because they want to, not because they have to. A little different tradition here, but it's okay. Anyway. As a young man, I always wanted to be an actor. 
I wanted to go and be a you know, famous actor. That was it. I love the movies, love the stories, love to go and you know, spend, the, spend the afternoon or the early evening. And I always had to sneak out because my mom didn't like the movies. It was a bad thing. Movies were evil. And I just loved them. Oh, my gosh. You know, just love the movies. So as a young man, I had the dream, and I went and I, did, and I got involved with theater. Actually, I got, that was a, that's an interesting story I'll share sometime, but got commandeered into auditioning for a play and ended up with the lead in the play and then in and out of theater and, and productions, but did a lot of theater prior to moving to Los Angeles. And I had just turned, just turned 27 years old, 26 right in there, and, uh, and much too late to... I, I look back, you know, if I had a little more grooming and a little more opportunity and a little more nurturing with that, I probably would have gone years earlier, but yeah. It, it, it's all perfect in the scheme of things. So I get there, I get to L.A., and I get involved, and I get to know people, and I, I get into a great acting class. It was very expensive, but great people there, and I met Patrick Swayze there. And Patrick, my prayers go out to him every day. He's doing this thing with his pancreatic cancer. You know, and he, every time I see a picture of him on, a, on a, the grocery store, I just, uh, you know, it just makes my... I start to just well up as I... Great, great guy. And we did a play together for a year. And from that, I got an agent, and I got a lot of opportunities. Well, I pull up to Paramount Studios one day, and I'm going back. I'm called back for the second reading of a, of a miniseries called The Winds of War by Herman Walk. And it's a story of the, the prelude leading up to World War II based on the perspective of the United States. And there's a German protagonist in the book, and it gives the German perspective as well. And then The War and Remembrance was the second part of that. And so it's several... It's a couple thousand pages long. Anyway, it's my second reading, and I go to meet the producer, which is very cool, because you typically go and you read with a casting director. And then if you make that grade, you go back to meet the producer, because they filter it out. <clears throat> and so I walk into the room, and I don't bring a headshot, a headshot and a resume, because, you know, I've already given them one. They got one. Why would they need two? So I sit down, and I do the reading with the producer, and he's a pretty kind of rough guy, kind of like a longshoreman, you know, and he's... He's, he's rugged, and he talks like this, and so I I'm, I'm do the reading with him. He says, all right, that's good, that's good, that's good, yeah, 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 yeah. Where's your picture resume? And I said, don't have one. It's in my car. Well, go get it! And I jumped about four feet in the air. As I was in the air, I spun and went out the, front, the door, ran down the hall, and was back in about 45 seconds with a panting. And at the meantime, as I was driving home, he called my agent and said, yeah, I like this guy. He reminds me of me, so we're going to give him a job. And, you know, it was about my third or fourth audition I'd, I'd been on, and it was, it was quite exciting. Anyway, they, I get the job. They fly me to Bremerton, Washington, up in the Puget Sound. I get there, and I don't even know the story. I, don't, I just know my, they call it sides, your bit of script. And I got my script. And I get there, and right away they take me to wardrobe, and they cut all my hair off. Well, they cut most of it off. And then they could bring me back, and the guy says, no, it's not short enough. So they just shave my head. I think, fine, no big deal. You know what? You're paying me, and it'll grow back. So then they give me a watch cap. To put on, that's part of my costume, so I didn't even need a haircut. And then they gave me these great big sonar, these great big uh, earphones. You didn't need to cut my hair one lick. You couldn't see if I had hair or not. But anyway, an example of poor communication. Why doesn't the wardrobe talk to the costumers? But anyway, so I'm, I'm standing there, and the first day I'm ready to go, and I'm in a sailor's outfit. I got the sailor's outfit on, I got the hat on, and I'm looking sharp, I'm ready to go, and I'm standing in the lobby. I look down the hallway, and here comes this guy. He's just waltzing down, and his shoulders are back, and he's got the captain's hat on, and here comes Robert Mitchum. And I'm like, wow. He walks up, and, and I look at him, and I, and I said, you're, you're, yeah, I am. 
you ready to go? And then I didn't know what to say. I shook my head and went out the door with him, following him. And he, he turned out to be the, the wonderful man. And it was he and I, we spent a bunch of time together. We did, every time he was on a break, because he was doing all the work, I was just hanging out. And for whatever reason, they, we ended up together for about a week. About the second, and so when we go, we go to the ship that morning. And Mitchum's been in the Marine Corps. And he's, he's just an elegant, graceful man. He's got the, he used to call him the goose, because he'd stand like a goose. He had those shoulders that looked like, you know, he's about my size, really. But you see him in, the, in film, and he's like, what is he, 6'9"? He's, you know, he's huge, like John Wayne. So anyway, he's standing there, and he gets, goes up to the gangplank, and he salutes the chief petty officer to get on the ship. And the guy's there, and he's just smart, smart salute. Welcome aboard, sir, and he marches on. And I have never been in the military. And I'm walking along, and I look just like every other sailor that has ever come down the gangplank. And I walk up, don't know the protocol, uns- unsure of myself. And I get to the gangplank, and the chief petty officer salutes, and I go, How you doing? <laughs> and this guy was fit to be tied. He had no clue who I was. He thought I was just a goof-off sailor. And I walk on, and he's just pacing behind me. I'm like walking and looking, and this guy's following me everywhere I go. He's just ready to throw me right into the, the brig. And finally, after about three hours of this, <clears throat> it was very uncomfortable. One of the officers came over and said, look, it's not an enlisted man. This is an actor. And his whole demeanor changed. He just shifted. And then he was taking me all over, showing me everybody, introducing me to everybody. I'm in everybody's cabin. I'm around, and we're now we're best buddies. Come here, come here. Can I show you this now? Okay, yeah, sure. Hmm, another... Steel door, how about that? That's fantastic. <laughs> so we get back to the hotel that night, and, and Mitchum's comes, I'm eating dinner, we're at the Holiday Inn in Bremerton, Washington, and he comes walking in, and he's got a, he's got a glass of liquid with ice in it, and it's a big tumbler, a great big tumbler. And he comes up to the table, and he says, can I join you? And I says, yes, sit down. So he sits down, he starts telling me stories, he'd been telling me stories all day. And it, wonderful stuff. I mean, I never for a minute thought this guy's, you know, this guy's talking too much. It was fascinating. But I said to him, you know, can I buy you dinner? Nope, nope, good, good, good. And he's just sipping this clear liquid and, uh, and ice. And I'm thinking, hmm, I wonder what he's drinking there. And then the waitress would come by and give him another tumbler full of ice and clear liquid. After about four of these, I realized that I'm done with dinner. He's not having any dinner. He's just drinking. And the uh, assistant director comes over and he says, can I see you for a second? I said, sure. And I go out to the lobby with him. He says, now look, he said, here's what we're going to do. Because Mr. Mitchum's got a big day of dialogue tomorrow. We're going to tell him the bar's closed. So, you know, not the sharpest saw in the toolbox, but I figured out that he wasn't drinking ice water. And uh, I said, okay, great. So the guy says, look, go to your room for half an hour and then come on back down if you want to, but we got to get him to bed. So, you know, talk about indirect communication, but nobody, nobody, nobody had the, the mustard to go up to him and say, look, it's time to go to bed, which would have been much simpler and much saner. But no, we're going to play a trick, and we're going to tell him the bar's closed. So 30 minutes later, I go back to the room, I go back down, and we're sitting around the bar, and we're having, having something to drink and talking to the crew. And who comes back 15 minutes later? But Robert Mitchum. <laughs> I thought the effing bar was closed! Ah, he's back. And he walks, into the, he walks into the room, and he trips over something. Now, he's 70 years old, and I didn't know anything about him. I've read a lot of stuff since then about him. And, and from what I can tell, he had this incredible capacity to consume alcohol. 
and always did, and always showed up the next day ready to work, never bothered him, never affected him in any way, shape, or form that anyone could ever complain about. But anyway, he comes into the, and he trips on something, and he, he catches the corner of a table on his way down and just slices his forehead open right under his hairline there. And so they get him to the medical aid. I think they stitched him up right there. I think they had a little um, tech there to stitch him up. And they pancaked over it in the morning and had a bandage there. And sure enough, the next morning, I'm standing there ready to go. And here comes Robert Mitchum. I'm waltzing down as graceful as can be. Now, this time, though, his cap is pulled way down over his, his forehead. And he walks up, looks at me, and says, you ready to go? Yep. And off to the races. Never missed a beat. And it's an interesting story. As a young man, he, I mean, he had an amazing life. Uh, in and out of school, got kicked out of school a lot, never seemed to settle down. He had a, his younger brother, John. If you've ever watched any of Clint Eastwood's movies, Clint used to give John jobs all the time. He'd, he'd always play uh, the sidekick cop. In one of the Dirty Harry movies, he plays Clint Eastwood's. If actually, the first Dirty Harry, he plays Robert Mitchum's brother, John. Well, when John was born, his mom sent John and Robert out, and Robert was two years older. I think Robert was five, and John was three. And he said they were walking across the street one day, and he was bringing John with him, and, and John got just smacked by a car. Robert said he jumped out of the way, and John, he couldn't pull John out of the way, and John got hit by the car. So Robert goes home and says, where's your brother? And Robert looked at his mom, five years old, says, he's dead. And they went back out and found John laying there on the side of the road crying. But a fascinating story. 14 years old, left home, rode the rails, Worked on a chain gang, got picked up for vagrancy, uh, had been a boxer, been a writer, an amazing singer, this guy, his whole life. But the thing about him, and then he was working in the uh, aerospace industry, and they say he had a nervous breakdown. So something shifted for him. But the interesting thing about being around him, when I, I think about Victoria Castle's circle, he was so grounded. If you watch him, and having been around him, everybody else was acting their tails off around him. And he just stood there. I mean, he was just Robert Mitchum. He was just grounded in who and what he was. And it was fascinating to watch because we're all just running like crazy to, you know, get there. And he's just, uh -huh. yep. Never, never, he just never got ruffled. He was like the eye of the hurricane, always self-contained, always grounded. He seemed to stand in, in that awareness, whatever showed up. I mean, he'd, he'd faced it all. He'd been through all of it. Amazing life this guy led. And, and so gracious and so friendly, so down to earth, so connected to people. I mean, he just, I felt like, and I mean, I was, you know, I was part of the, the, the furniture for him. But I felt like we had been friends forever. Just this, this graciousness. And I think that was part of, of what he just brought to everything he did. He brought that humanity, and yet he was so elegant. He was so grounded in who and what he was. And for me, that story, I mean, I could look at that story and make that story a, a, a failure. <clears throat> did I do all the things as an actor that I wanted to do? Of course not. You know, you have dreams and you have visions and all this, but as I've said many times, but it was such a great part of my learning and my growing and my journey. And it was my calling. It was my, it was my dream. It wasn't my calling. It took me a long time to understand that. Because what happened for me is I, I had more and more success with it. The joy wasn't there. The fantasy of what I thought it would be, the sense of completion, this, the sense of if, if only I can get there, then I'll be worthy enough. I'll be valuable enough. I'll be deserving enough. I'll have earned it. I belong. All of those things that run for us until we start to live consciously and intentionally, all of those things and so many more were alive for me. I share that story with you because, you know, it's a real story. It's a true story. It's part of my story. 
And so to have been there, you know, I look back at it now, it's so sweet to have those, those memories. And, and I had wonderful memories of doing things and creating and just watching how people operate. What an inspiration their lives were. And yet I know that all that was necessary so that I could be doing what I'm doing now. Today is necessary for tomorrow. And it's all, uh, it, it's, it's sequential, it's gradual. But if we view it as it's all necessary, right and perfect for us to move towards what our, our, our gift zone is. We've all shown up here to share our gifts, to develop and share our gifts. And so that's, that's the opportunity for us. So our stories are so important. So how, I could look at that story as failure. I could look at it as part of what was necessary for, to move me to the next phase. And the neat thing was that I had enough success with it. I kept dipping in and, and tasting success, what I thought was success. And it wasn't shifting me. It wasn't changing me. It wasn't filling that emptiness I felt that drove me to do that. And I felt so blessed. It was terrifying when I was going through it. My God, my whole life, since I was a kid, this is what I was going to do. And what I realized of what that was for me, that story, that dream was really about authentic communication. It was being able to communicate from my heart about things that were important. What was empty for me was I was just spitting out somebody else's lines, having to find some place that was authentic for me in that. That's what acting is. Great acting is us being able to duplicate and identify what someone is portraying. That's what makes a good actor from a mediocre actor. That's what makes a great artist different from a mediocre art. But we can duplicate it. So when someone's up here singing a song and we're connected with it and they're connected with it, we're all connected. It lifts us all up because it's us singing with them. They're singing through us. And we're singing through them. But it's interesting <clears throat> to have that awareness, to have that possibility. So all of it is for us. All, to stand fearless in our, our journey and understand, this is, you know what, I, w- I didn't ask for this. But I have affirmed to know the right and perfect things that are unfolding in my life. And this is where I am and this is what's shown up. So this too is for good. This too is for me. This too is for God. Because we're in, if we're living consciously, we're in co-creation with that thing. And it's exciting. You know Martin Kerr, our musician with the guitar, brought the kids up last week for Mother's Day and played? Martin told a story at 4 o'clock about his journey. As a young man, he went to China. Got to China, no, no money, no job. Had his guitar and his clothes. And he woke up one, the first morning he was there. He slept on a, in a, found a room to sleep in, on this, right on the floor. And he said to himself, this is the first day of the rest of my life. This is the first day of the rest of my life, and I don't know how it's going to come out, but I'm so excited to see what happens. I mean, that's fearless. That's to stand in the fearlessness of life. This is the first, this is the first day of the rest of our lives, you and I. And if we stand in that knowing that the universe is for us, as, as Dr. Holmes said, if God is for us, who could be against us? And how can we take the stories that we have, that you and I have, that are great stories of disappointment and heartbreak and all the things, the, the things that you've told yourself, but they, there may be time for a more interesting story. There may be time for a, a more gracious story because your good is everyone's good. Your thriving is everyone's thriving. There's no limitation on it. It's not as if you, if you celebrate life and if, and if you live a life that is abundant and creative and free that someone will have to suffer because of that. That's not true. But many of those messages were the messages that I received as a young man. And it took me a long time to to sort of sort that out in my own thinking and to catch myself when I started to pull that up and say, wait a minute, I don't live like that anymore. My son Max got notification on Friday that he was accepted at uh, uh, University of Calgary and also at the University of Alberta for medical school. And and he's just been flying 
low. He's in the back. He's just, he, I think he's sitting on the chair right now, but he was floating about six inches above it when I started, but I've seen him kind of settle down in now. <clears throat> anyway, but he said to us yesterday, he said, you know what? I've been putting prayer treatment requests in there for a year on this thing. I've been planning this for a year. And that's great. You know, work, you know, work that aspect of it because that's spiritual practice. It's called practice and it requires our daily addressing it. Our daily practice, our daily spiritual practice. But he also did the other work. He also completed his undergrad. He also excelled. He also created relationships. He also, and all that is part of developing the consciousness of successful stu- uh, medical student. That's the next doorway for him to walk through. And so it's, it's working with both. It's the love and the law. See, we're the love. We bring the passion to it. We bring the intention to it. And what we do by that intention is we impress upon this infinite law that always says, yes, this idea, that I am the consciousness of whatever it is, the consciousness of Abundance, freedom, health, happiness, investor, partner, husband, wife, daughter, son, grandmother, grandfather, whatever it may be, to live intentionally. I am the consciousness of whatever that looks like, whatever creates that thriving in my experience, uh, instead of buying into the stories. So this trans scarcity is such a good fit for what we do here, because as we, as we create the consciousness, then there's a space where we can receive the gift. It's so simple, and it can be such a challenge for us. I forget at times, too. I pick things back up, I treat, and then I pick things back up because i got to fix them. Oh, wait, wait, oh, I forgot one thing here. And yet it's to know, it's to stand fearless in it. I've done my prayer work, and I've released it, and I know the universe is conspiring in every good way. And if you get up the next day and you go back into doubt, then you've got to go back into prayer to stand in that clarity. That's stepping back into the circle of generosity, of giving, of aligning, of openness of gratitude, receiving, and attracting. It's a powerful opportunity. And so it's great that we can come together and remind one another of that, because it's easy to forget. I know that. We all forget. We need, and we need one another. We need community. There's a great energy here. It's a great, great, great support system here in so many wonderful ways. And so this week, my, my offering to you is look at the stories in your life. Look at where you're selling yourself short. Because it may be true for you right now. The truth is not your story is not your truth. It's a fact. And the fact may be right now that you don't think you deserve, that you need to earn something. And there's nothing wrong with that story. It's just not a very big idea. What's going to move us into the next experience on this planet, like that video said, I believe in a planet that works for everyone. I believe that relationships are important, that family's more important than money, that we can live on this planet and not continue to destroy it. I mean, that's part of it. This planet is alive. It's part of the consciousness of the infinite. All those things and more are possible. And we keep those ideas alive within ourselves. If we do the work within us, we're doing the work for everybody. That's powerful and wonderful. So I thank you for the work that you've done to this point in your life. Because it has added to the beautiful mosaic that I consider a beautiful bouquet of my own life. And hopefully, my work has helped influence you as well. It's, It's reciprocal. There's no private good. And so I thank you. I bless you. I know that you will have a fantastic, awake, alive, and dynamic experience this week and this day. So it is. And in keeping with that, this song is a a song that I wrote to the Marianne Williamson speech that she wrote for Nelson Mandela. It's called Who Are You Not To Be? And it speaks about that really we are so terrified of our light. 
that underneath everything is love, and we're, we're really quite terrified of our light. I'd like to send this out to Elizabeth Manuel. Stand up, Elizabeth. She's been nominated for the Women of Vision in our fair city, and we're so proud of you. So who are we not to be? It's not that I'm not good enough. My deepest fear is I am powerful beyond measure. It is my light that most frightens me. And I ask myself, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, and talented?
Thank you, Anna. It is our Teen Sunday, and our teens are coming forward as we do our offering today. Thank you so much for your continued support and the blessings that allow us to continue to operate. As I mentioned, we have uh, about 5,000 people a month downloading our Sunday talks right now, and that is uh, in the last 90, 120 days. So I know that this ministry and the consciousness we are continues to extend its reach into the world. And without the support and the vitality and the vibrancy that, that we represent individually and collectively, it wouldn't be happening. So I thank you. We have a, a lot more ideas that we're looking to bring into manifestation. But thank you so much for your continued support. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. So with that said, let us, let us, let us give our offering this day in that expectancy of great good. That we, as we step into this flow of life, let us, let us step into that in the abundance of our life, that as we give, the abundance comes back to us pressed down and overflowing at least tenfold. That's the way it works. That is a law. And not just financially, but in relationships, in love, in opportunity, in creativity. Unbounded possibility. So I give thanks this day myself personally, the opportunity and the joy of giving and supporting something larger than myself, knowing that we, that I, make a difference on this planet. For this I give thanks and invite you to say with me, and so it is. practitioners and ministerial team to come forward and join me on the platform. No teens tonight. Today is Teen Sunday. Thank you so much for your support with the prayer bracelets last week. We sold 125 bracelets in two services and we, we thank you. Um, they're a beautiful thing to do for that family, for our teens and I know it was well received by all of you so thank you for your, your support with that. And I want to thank Reverend Catherine for her continued great work with our teens. Thank our musicians who do a fabulous job each and every week. Our technicians up there couldn't do it all without you, so we thank you so much. So let's know this right here, right now, once again. My knowing, one power, one presence. That power and that presence is mine in this moment. 
and always speaking in the I am for each person here. I know that my life is divinely guided, inspired, resourced, supplied, and the right people, places, and opportunities are called forth into my experience that allow me to live a life that is powerful, wonderful, prosperous, abundant, joyful, creative, and free. For this I give thanks. I am certain of this. I stand in the fearlessness of this knowing. I release these words knowing it is already done in the mind of the one, and for this I'm grateful. And in that gratitude, I live moving forward in the expectancy of great good for myself and for others. For I celebrate and live and know there is no private good. And so I celebrate with a joyful heart every time I see good breaking out on this planet, wherever it may be. It is for good, it is for God, and it is for me. For this I give thanks. Once again, I release these words knowing it is already done. And together we say, and so it is. Let's sing. <laughs>